0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, I am going to be continuing our series on the pursuit of power. And in doing so, I was just thinking about our fast. And obviously, we joke about our fast, and Pastor Christian looked like he was on his last leg there. But this really is such an amazing time where we, as a church body, as a community of believers get to come together in a time of prayer and fasting for what God is doing right now in our lives, in our community, in our families, in our nation. And it is such an amazing time to be able to do that in a focused way. But as we've been doing this fast, there have been some things that have been becoming more evident and more apparent. And I've had a few people come and talk to me and say, you know what, Pastor Sam, when we talked about contradiction, that's something that I'm facing right now. There is a promise that I know God has for me, but there is a contradiction that feels so present. It feels so apparent to me right now, and and I see it coming to the surface. And I think this is a really good thing. This is something that that we go through in life, but often we don't recognize the contradiction. We feel the frustration of situations. We feel the anxiety or the fear or, or feeling overwhelmed But we don't always recognize that there is a contradiction present and that there is a purpose that God has for us in the midst of the contradiction. You see, we can't just be aware that there's a contradiction. We have to know how to respond to the contradiction. How do we respond in the moments of time where we know there's a promise that God has spoken and yet everything in our lives seems to be coming against it? And it's in these moments that we have to remember that the most important thing that we could do is to stand on the promises of God. In the midst of the contradiction, we have to stand on what God has said. We have to know what he said, and we have to stand on what he has said. And what we said last week is so important, and it's so true. That the word of God, that the power of God, that that God's ability in our lives is just as present in the moment that God makes the promise as it is in the midst of the waiting and the circumstance and the contradiction as it is in the fulfillment of the promise itself. And I say that today because I want us all to know that wherever we are in this this journey, Wherever we are from from the beginning parts of our relationship with God to to a seasoned Christian who has been believing and, and partnering and pressing into something for decades, that God's power is present wherever you are. It's available to you, and it is what we need in order to be able to move forward into what He's called us to do. This morning, we're going to continue in looking at this pursuit of power. But in order to do so, I want to look at the life of Jesus. I want to look at the one who exemplified power. The one whose ministry, whose life on earth was marked with the continual presence of the power of God. That wherever Jesus went wherever he he prayed, wherever he ministered, that lives were changed, that healing took place, that lives were raised from the dead, that things changed and happened in the spiritual realm because Jesus was present. And this is what we're in pursuit of. You see, when we talk about power, we're not just talking about this cosmic thing and this, this idea of things happening. We're talking about the answers we need in the situations that we're going through. We're talking about the, the character development inside of us in the midst of the situations. We're talking about the provision that we need that can only come from God. And yes, we're talking about the miraculous power that when we see sickness and we pray, we expect to see his healing. That when we see a need, that we don't just observe it and say, okay, there's a need, but that we understand that if the power of God rests inside of us, that we might just be the answer to that need. That when we are led by the Holy Spirit to pray for the sick, to believe for healing, to stand in the gap when somebody is going through something, that we know that we are not there on our own power, but we are there on behalf of our Father in heaven who has empowered us to be his representation on earth. So that's what we're talking about here today. And we're going to go back to the life of Jesus and who was, of course, the word and the word that was made flesh. We said last week that the word itself is the source of our power, right? And so we're going to look at the life of Jesus, but very often when we think about the life of Jesus, we think about his ministry and, and all the things that I just mentioned of, of raising the, the dead and healing the sick and, and the amazing things that he did and obviously going to the cross and dying for our sins. But we don't always look at this portion that I want to take a look at here this morning. It's the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus. For most ministers or people who are involved in ministry, there's a process that we go through. It starts in the local church, it continues in a time of study and a time of preparation. There might be seminary involved or or training and, and various aspects of that. But for Jesus, it was a little bit more of an unconventional approach. You see, Jesus did spend time at church. He he spent time in the synagogue, in the temple. We see this in Luke chapter 2, where his parents forget about him. This is a really bad thing when you misplace the Son of God. But he was there. He, he said, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? He was where he was supposed to be. It says that in that time, he grew in stature both with God and with man. So he was being prepared. But then we lose sight of him, at least in the scriptures. We don't see that time from childhood up to the time where he comes back on the scene and he's baptized by John in Luke chapter 3. He comes back on the scene and and then it says from the time of his baptism, this very curious verse uh, that we read in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, and it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus, he goes into a place of of obscurity, at least as far as what we can see. And when he returns, it says that he is greeted with this opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not a word that we often like to talk about because the connotation with the wilderness is a time without. It's a time where we don't have the things that we want. It's not comfortable. It's not where we thought that we would be. But yet what we're going to see here today in this message is that there is a purpose for the wilderness. There is a purpose for the seasons in our lives where we feel like we're going through the wilderness. The times where we don't have the answers that we're looking for and the times where we're not sure how we got to the place where we find ourselves. Has that ever happened to anybody in this room before? Where you look around, you're like, oh man, this is not where I expected to be. How did I end up here? Anybody else? The thing is, though, is that we have to be aware of how we got there because sometimes there are moments in time where we ended up where we ended up because we did something stupid. Sometimes when we look around us and we see our surroundings, it's not because of something someone else did. It's because of something I did. And I find more and more with young people, it would be a really good thing for them to understand this principle. How did I end up here? Why is God doing this to me? And we're like, God is not doing this to you. You clearly made a decision or a series of decisions, and now you are where you are. Thank God for grace, right? We have to understand when our own decisions have led us to that place. But that's not what I'm talking about here today. I kind of want to go on a tangent about personal responsibility and and investing in our kids and I think we should definitely do that, right? But I'm talking about today those moments in time where we ended up in a place where we didn't expect to be and it's as a result of our pursuit of God. That ending up in the wilderness sometimes is as a result of us trusting God, of us believing in what he says, in us pursuing what he's called us to do. And then we look around and we're like, wow, this did not look how I thought it was going to look. Sometimes that's just life in God. But there is a purpose for those moments. There is a purpose for those seasons. There's a purpose for the times where things didn't go the way we would expect and the times of contradiction but it is about what we do in those moments that makes all the difference. It's about what we do in those moments that really is going to be the investment in the areas that are unseen that are going to bear the fruit for the places for everyone else to see. And so the wilderness has a purpose, and and that was the case with Jesus. So Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, And then we get to verse 2, and it says, And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. At this point, I would like to thank Luke for one of the most obvious statements in all of Scripture. He didn't eat anything for 40 days, and he was hungry. Yes, and that resonates with some of us here today. But what's worse than being in the wilderness? Being hungry in the wilderness. What's worse than being hungry in the wilderness? Being hungry in the wilderness and being greeted by Satan. And this is where Jesus finds himself. He's in the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days, and he's greeted by Satan. And we see this exchange take place. And I want you to pay attention to to some of this dialogue here. It says in verse 3, And the devil said to him, Jesus, If you are the Son of God... If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all of this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is. Is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, he set him on the top of the pinnacle, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. All right, so we know this interaction taking place between Satan and Jesus in the wilderness. And and there's a lot that can be taken from this passage. But the thing that I want to see here today is that Satan had really one objective in this interaction. What he was attempting to do is what he always attempts to do in our life. We see this with Adam and Eve in the garden where he said, did God really say? We see this in every interaction where where the enemy is speaking to somebody. It's all about, did God really say? If this is the case, if you really are, it's about questioning the truth of what God has said. And why is this? It's because the enemy knows full well the power, the might, the sovereignty, the omniscient, omnipotent, beautiful, amazing, incredible God that we serve. And if he can take our attention away from that, then he's already won. Because if we recognize in the midst of whatever situation we're facing, that we have the God of the universe fighting on our behalf— If we understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to die for our sins, to give us freedom and victory over death, hell, and the grave, then really what are we going to fear? But if he can take our attention away from what God has said, and to put it on circumstances, to put it on situations, to put it on ourselves, well, then he knows he's winning. So he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. But how does Jesus respond? He goes back to the Word. He says, it is written. It is written. It is also said. He goes back to the Word, the Word, the Word. The Word is just as powerful in the moment of being challenged as it is in the moment of fulfillment. The Word is the thing that when the Word is attacked... The word is the answer. That when the word is being questioned, when the truth of what God has said is being brought up to a place of being put on trial, did God really say this? It's the word that gives us the ability to combat the lies of the enemy. But we have to know that in the midst of of the wilderness, in the midst of the circumstances, and this is what Jesus knew. He responded, this is what God has said. This is what his word said. And because of this, this time in the wilderness, it was not just a time of being tested, but it was a time of preparation. It was not just a time of making it through the difficult time. Jesus didn't just barely make it through the wilderness. It wasn't something that that when he comes out of the wilderness, all that happens is in spite of the wilderness, it's because of the time that he spent in the wilderness. It's because of his response to the contradiction. It's because of his response to the lies of the enemy. I want to ask this question today. What are the lies that the enemy is speaking right now in your life that you need to combat and overwhelm with the truth of the word of God? What are the things that you believe to be true about yourself and your current circumstance that you need to reverse by listening and standing on the truth of what God has said? We have to know what he has said. And I want to reiterate this for a moment. What he has said. Not what we have thought. Not what our friends have said. Not what social media has told us. What, not what the, the news has reported. What has God said? What is he speaking to you? Because that is the source of the power. I want to point out today that in the wilderness, that in this time of preparation, what we invest really matters. What we sow in the time of the wilderness is going to pay big dividends in the time of the harvest. What we sow in the place of seeming darkness is going to be the thing that results in what we walk out of it with. But that's both good and that's bad. That's either that we chose to trust in God in the midst of what we were facing, or we chose to trust in us in the midst of what we were facing. But for Jesus, we see very clearly that he chose to trust in the Word of God. And because of this, the results are, in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. What was the result of the wilderness? It's that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus didn't come out looking like Pastor Christian in the announcement video. Jesus came out looking like a man who knew his identity and his purpose on earth because he had invested what really mattered in the time of testing. For each one of us, in the time of testing, in the time of waiting, in the time of the wilderness, what are we investing I just want to say this, and I didn't mention this in first service, but there was a situation this past week that I heard this report of something. I got in my car afterwards, and and to be honest, I was looking more at the problem than I was looking at the power of God. And I heard very clearly in my spirit, what are the seeds that you're sowing right now? What are the seeds that you're sowing right now in this moment of, of questioning, in this moment of, of uncertainty, what is it that you are choosing to intentionally sow right now in this moment? Because what you're choosing to sow right now is going to yield a harvest. Is it going to be a harvest of fear or is it going to be a harvest that produces the promise and the power of God? I almost just want to stop here today because I I really want us to hear this right now. Wherever it is that we are right now, you have to ask the question, what am I sowing right now? Am Am I sowing the seed of faith in this moment? Or am I sowing the seed of doubt and questioning that is only going to produce more fear and reliance on myself? We have to know what it is that we're sowing. But for Jesus... He sowed in faith and it was returned to him in the spirit of power, in the power of the spirit. And it says going forward, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. You see, coming out of the wilderness, there was a realization. I want to suggest today that it wasn't a realization by Jesus. Jesus knew who he was. But there was a realization and a revelation to all that experienced him coming out of the wilderness where they said, oh, who is this guy? The word of him spread through all the surrounding country. And it says when he gets back, he goes into the temple. He does go back to the synagogue as was his, was his practice. And it says that when he gets there, he's handed the scroll, the scroll from the book of Isaiah in Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. And he reads these words, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus said. And the significance of this was that he was fulfilling the words of prophecy spoken thousands of years before. He said the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is is the very power that was empowering him in that moment. And they started to take notice. They looked at Jesus. They started to ask, who is this? There was an excitement that was building inside of him until they realized, oh, this is just Joseph's son. This is just the son of the carpenter. And it went from this excitement to then looking to throw Jesus off of the cliff. It's the highs and the lows of of being led by the Spirit. Can I suggest sometimes that there are occupational hazards in being led by the Spirit? But it doesn't change the fact that it was the Spirit leading Jesus. He was leading him. He led him into the wilderness. He led him out of the wilderness. And he returned in the power of the Spirit. We go on to read in Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. This is Peter speaking about this time. He says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see, the results of the wilderness was the empowerment of God in the life of Jesus. It wasn't in spite of the wilderness. There was a process that God himself, through the Spirit, was leading Jesus through. And let me suggest today that if Jesus was led through the wilderness, and we are called to follow in the example of Jesus, that there may in fact be moments in our life where we find ourselves in the wilderness. Here's the thing, though. In these moments, this is where we are called to draw near once again to what he has said. Because there is something waiting for you on the other side of your wilderness. see the critical thing is that we remember and understand what he has said so jesus goes through the wilderness he comes out empowered by the spirit he proclaims who he is his identity and we go on to read these words in john chapter 14 verse 12 in my opinion these are words that have lived in infamy He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to my father. Jesus wasn't content to walk in the power that, as I said, was the trademark of his ministry that was in everything that he said and he did. But instead, he made a promise to us. He said, you are going to do the things that I have done and even greater things. This was what, this is what Jesus said. And so we know this, but the question has to then be asked, why don't we see it in operation? At least to the extent that Jesus is referring to here. Why do we not see the power at work in our lives? I would say today that first of all, this is a very loaded question that we couldn't possibly cover in one message or in a 10-minute period of time. But I want to just start with this because to me, in my time in the Lord, in my time in, in being a Christian and following after God and pursuing and wanting to know these things, very often the very reason why we don't see the power of God at work in our life is because the situations that we've already been through have indicated that there is something about this power that is not available to us. That the disappointments of life have seemed to indicate to us that, well, this might be for some, but it's not for you. Or maybe we, we talk about how all the, the missions trips in the, the the foreign countries that the power of God is manifesting there, but the power of God can't manifest here in America. We come up with theologies and, and ideas for why it's not happening. Some would go as far as to say the Spirit of God is not in operation anymore. That what happened in the book of Acts, that was for then, it's not for now. But that's not the promise of God. That's not the word of God. That's not the truth of God. God is still working. He is still at work in our lives. He's still at work on the earth. And as we keep saying, he has decided that it would be us. That would be the carriers and the conduits of his power. But we have to believe it. We have to understand that just because past experiences have told us that it's not available, that that is not the case. The second thing that I want to look at here today is that at times we have looked at the power of God in our lives as if it was some kind of switch that we could just walk over to in the moment of crisis and to flip the switch and the power was supposed to be there. That at the moment that we put demand on it, that all of a sudden it's there, And yet all the way along, in the journey of faith, in the time that we've been walking with God, we have been asking for his answers, but at the same time we've been relying on our own ability. We've wanted it to be a switch that's there when we need it, but in the other moments of life, the moments where we need to pray for something, but yet it's something that we could possibly get through on our own, we choose to go with our own ability instead of his. And so instead of instead of this power that is there as a switch, what is actually taking place is that there is a muscle that God is wanting to develop within his children. where are in continued relationship with him and an understanding of what the word has said that we would begin to operate in the power of God, not just in certain moments where we think it's applicable, but in all moments of our life. That there is a flow of the Holy Spirit that is meant to be in operation within us, and it is meant to be something that we rely on in every moment of every day. Instead of, God, don't worry, this one's not so big. I got this. God, I, I know that you have this for me, just like Abraham. I know that you've called me to be the father of many nations, but God, don't worry, I've got this. You see, it's it's the moments in our life of the I got this moments that take us out of the place of reliance on his power and put it back on ourselves. It takes us out of agreement with the word that we need being the source of our power and it puts it back on our own ability. And so in the times of the wilderness where we don't have the answers and we choose to rely on us, we are building a muscle. We are investing something in the wilderness that is going to have dividends on the outside. The only problem is when we invest it in us, and not in him and the truth of what he has said, it's going to be further reliance on ourselves. And so when we go to the switch to flick it on because we really need his answer and we don't have any other option, we haven't built the reliance on the spirit. We need to be those who would be willing, who would be intentional, that in the moments of life that we turn to God, that we wouldn't just ask the question, That we wouldn't just pray the prayer, but that we would say, God, I am going to be patient. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stay in this moment while you are bringing about the power and the answer that I need in this situation. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, And let patience or steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What is it that we need? It's patience. We need to go to the source, recognize that it is the source, and understand that while we are absolutely meant to partner with God, it is out of a place of complete reliance on Him and not on us. But this is something that needs to be developed. This is the flow. This is the empowerment of the Spirit that is meant to be in operation in our lives far more often then I think that we realize it or allow it to speak in us. You see, as we're talking about this, I just want to be very honest. This is something that, that I'm speaking to myself a lot. From the time I was a kid, I, I don't want to speak to the time I was a little kid because I don't remember, but like from the time I was a teenager, I can remember always feeling like I had to do it on my own, that I had to make it happen. Some of us are like that in this room. If I was working in the shop on a construction, piece of construction equipment, I felt like I'm the one who has to figure this out. I know there's plenty of help for me. All I got to do is ask. But I'd be the one in the back, like lifting things that were as big as I were, trying to fix things that I had no business trying to fix. Yes, learning in the process, but fully relying on myself. I asked this question in the first service. Have you guys ever seen Home Alone 2? Where like Marv is in the basement trying to build that tower of things? so that he could get to the second floor. That's how I felt a lot of times. Trying to do it on my own, trying to make sense of it on my own, because I felt like it was in my own ability that I was going to find my value and my identity. Can I tell you, that's a very dangerous way to live our lives as Christians. That is not who we have been called to be. That in the moments of time where we don't have the answers, yes, there is the ability to operate in the gifts God has given us, but they need to be in cooperation with his spirit and his truth. Because ultimately what we are in pursuit of is his power, not our power. John chapter 5 verses 19 through 20 says, And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. You see, Jesus was the model. He was the example. He was the son of God living here on earth but still fully subjected to the limitations of human flesh. And so what Jesus did was he modeled for us what it was to continually be tapping into the actual source of the power which is not the fact that he was the son of God it was the fact that he was in complete submission to what God had said and to what God was doing. Now if Jesus needed to do that how much more Do you think we need to be doing that? You see, Jesus was constantly watching what is the Father doing? What's the Father saying? What is going on in the heavenly realms that I need to be taking note of so that I can walk in obedience here on earth? And this wasn't just a one time thing. This wasn't just the one time where he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights being tested and tempted by the enemy. This was a regular thing for Jesus. He was continually looking to the Father. It says in scripture, he continually separated himself away from everybody else so that he could spend that time with God in prayer and in fasting. It says that he went away to the wilderness by himself to pray. Often he would do this. We saw this in Matthew 14, in Mark 1, in Luke 9, in Luke 22. We see this continually happening as Jesus is understanding there is a flow of power that is coming from heaven. And in order for me to be in operation of that flow, I need to be investing in the truth, in the word, and what God is doing right now. See, for Jesus, it wasn't even a switch, an on and off switch. It was a release of what was already inside of him. It was a connection to the flow from heaven that he had invested in through the word and the truth of what God had spoken. For us, in our lives, in the situations that we're going through, whether it seems like everything is going right or everything is going wrong, what is it that we are investing in? What is the word that we are standing on and what is our expectation for what God is going to do even when it doesn't happen in the exact moment that we think that it should happen? See, Jesus continually was living this out. There is a flow, church, that we are meant to be walking in operation in. This time of prayer and fasting is a time where we can seek him to say no to some of our own fleshly desires, to say yes to him, to say, Jesus, what is it that you're speaking in this moment? God, what is it that you're trying to show me? What are you wanting to reveal to me in this time that I'm going to need, not just for now, but in the moments, in the days, in the weeks, in the months, in the years to come? Can we have that, that understanding that we are not operating on a temporary mindset, but an eternal, an eternal promise. That everything we do here on this earth, it's not just for now, that it's for eternity. But we need to live with that realization. Second Timothy chapter one, verses six through seven. Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, the gift of God, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind or self-control. But what's the key statement here? Continue to fan into flame. Continue to take what has been placed inside of you and continue to speak truth continue to meditate on what God has said, allow it to continue to grow, allow it to continue to expand. I feel like there's a word in this of what God is speaking today that God has put something in each one of you here today, that there is a fire that he has placed inside of us, that through the power of his holy spirit, there is something that lives inside of us that is greater than our minds have the ability to comprehend. And if in this time we would take the time to allow it to be fanned into flame, if we would allow the word to speak deeply into our hearts, if we would take this time out of obedience to him to say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you're doing, we want to be a part of it. Yes, Lord, that you would speak into those places, that you would take the fire that you placed inside of us and that you would breathe on it, Lord God, that it would grow, that it would expand, that it would increase, that it wouldn't be something that would be tucked away in the recesses of who we are, but that it would be the power of God in operation in our lives, that this church would be a church that would be in pursuit of you fully and Lord God, but that we wouldn't accept what is less. We wouldn't accept what is on our own, but that we would be in pursuit of your power so that all around us would see your power in operation, that we would see your power in operation, that we would see the healing power, the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead in operation in our lives. In Jesus' name.